0: the s the This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our special Sunday mailbag edition. I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and with me is the Founder, Managing Director, Chief Cook and Bottle washer at strawman.com, Andrew Page. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm good, mate. Also the uh, coffee boy and the cleaner. <laughs> it's important. That's important. You do have other staff, by the way, but you do have to do your own cleaning, which I think keeps you grounded. We don't want you to get to, you <laughs> know, when, you, when, you, when you're on your million dollar yacht, at least you'll remember the little guys is what I figure. So at least if you're doing the <laughs> cooking and the cleaning, that'll, that'll just keep you grounded.
1: Is that fair? I don't know how much money I would need to have to buy a yacht. Like, frankly, I think I could win a billion dollars and still <laughs> probably, you know, um, old habits die you. hard. You'd, you'd buy yeah.
0: it. <laughs> anyway, mate, tell us so for, for an unique question, unusual question. Tell us what Strawman is.
1: Uh, Strawman is an online investment forum where investors can share their ideas. They can manage a virtual portfolio, get a bit of practice with the market, but also signal what they think is worth buying or not to their other members and. Uh, You know, mate, hopefully test their ideas. The reason it's called straw man is I'm a big believer in the the best idea, the best way to improve an investment idea is to challenge it. So I've got all my recommendations up there and my sincere hope... Is that people will tear them to pieces because mate, I'm either right or I'm wrong, and yeah. uh, without you know, uh, no one likes no one likes their ego to be bruised. But if I, if I'm wrong, I'd much rather find out by someone pointing it out to me rather than the market uh, making it very apparent to me down the track. So yeah, that's what it's all about.
0: Very good. Well, mate, look, we're mates, and so if you ever need someone to bring you down a couple of pegs, just give me a call. I'm always happy to help out. You know, thank, you, my, thank you, so my thank you, my friend. <laughs> You're the first person I will call. <laughs> now, for those who don't actually know Andrew's past, Andrew was uh, a member of the Motley Fool. You were, you were I mean you were employee of the Motley Fool, I should say. Uh, you, you were on staff before you. you left us to do your own thing to start up Strawman, but you've always been a friend of the Fool, and you were the original co-host of Motley Fool Money. In fact, you were the bloke who did the original intros. You were the original host host of Motley Fool Money. <laughs> Um, and that, that's changed a little bit in the last. Well, do you know we're at four hundred episodes? Have we talked about this on air yet?
1: No, we haven't, mate. Last well, so- congratulations. That is well, that is awesome. This. I mean, yeah, you're there at the beginning, yeah, yeah. mate. Well, it's um. That is I I'm I don't want to think about how long we've talked <laughs> rubbish. <laughs> Together, uh, that, is the, how many is that is it? the
0: that is the conclusion, isn't it? Oh my god, how much time
1: have we spent? Our poor, our
0: poor long-suffering listeners, but i actually, look, I, you know, you and I have got no one to blame but ourselves. Our listeners, unfortunately, have decided that maybe we've got some value to offer, and they've been listening for 400 hours to try and finally get to some, which is, you know, impressive and appreciated. But uh, I'll take just it. Just a hot, hot tip: don't go back and listen to those early episodes; they weren't great. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know you know, didn't, didn't exactly look we're better now put it that way so you you know you if you're just listening now you have you have joined at the right time because we're slightly better than
1: we used to be and that's uh that's about the most you can hope for i reckon <laughs> we it show, shows, episodes, you, mate, yeah. so. we shows you how low well the done. standard was back then yeah but no congratulations <laughs> to you my friend you've, you've done all of the heavy lifting there and and a big thanks to, to doc as well i really yes, exactly. really did a great job uh, while i wasn't there and um all the, the podcast was all the better for him so yeah we, we miss correct him.
0: And in keeping with my lack of research for this show, I, uh, I, did, I did not actually know it was 400 episodes until the good people at Link, uh, who does our editing, uh, one of the unsung heroes of the Motley for Money podcast, who has to filter through our rubbish every week and make us sound a little bit better. I mean, we're never going to sound great, right? But he does, he does his level best. He's got the, the hardest job in the world, right? Trying to make us sound reasonable. Um, he actually guy. said, hey guys, congratulations to your 400th. Went, oh. Oh, yeah, cool, thanks. <laughs> I had no idea. So there you go. Mate, let's, uh, let's stop, let's stop uh, naval grazing and self-congratulating and get on with what we're here for, which is to talk to some of uh, our listeners' questions to answer them and, uh, mm. and their comments. I've got some interesting ones to share with you this week, mate. The first one, I launched on Friday, so I thought we'd lead off with this from Jason, who says, Hi, Scott and Andrew. Many thanks for your informative and always interesting podcast. Thank you, mate. You're welcome. Then he says, You have indicated the share market increases on average by 10% in the past. Now I will just editorialise. Ten percent per annum in the past is what we've talked about, and we said roughly, <laughs> um, and also no promises. So let's let's get that just just to clear up that for people who are listening for the first time. He says the All Odds, unfortunately, was over six thousand seven hundred points, six thousand seven hundred points in two thousand and seven, and is now about seven thousand two hundred. Therefore, he says the Australian share market has not been compounding at ten percent. Can you please clarify? Many thanks for sharing your wisdom and that's from Jason. So mate, um I'm going to throw you under the bus on this one. Are you lying to Jason? Have you have you been trying to hoodwink our listeners the whole time? What's going on?
1: <laughs> no, he's he's 100% right. Definitely not 10% compound over that period. Here's here's the thing about the share market is that you can you can find "Quote unquote" evidence for any kind of viewpoint that you want. <laughs> so, I would say, with the greatest of respect, it's a little bit spurious in the reasoning there. So, to, to flip that around, what I could do is I could say, well, imagine if you invested in March of two thousand and nine, mm. and then go went through to uh, you know just before the COVID crash. And in yep. fact, it's it, it's much higher than that. So, you, you've got to be careful with where you pick the tops and the bottoms. So, rather right. than trying to be too clever and come up with a figure that you want. This ten percent figure that we quote—it's a nice round number, so I guess that's yep. why we lean on it. But there's yep. there's definitely nuance in that. Um, mm-hmm. That that uh, that is when you go back over decades, yep. and it's also when you factor in dividend reinvestment as well. So without div- dividend reinvestment, it's not it's not quite ten percent either. Um, I have seen some studies which quote it at uh, eight or nine percent, and others at eleven. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a generalisation, and yeah. it needs to be. the other The other thing that I find interesting with the share market is that if you look for a year, whether that's a financial year or a calendar year, where the market has returned ten percent, it almost never happens. Yeah,
0: exactly. It, yeah, that's
1: right. It never happens, and so this ten percent average averages can be dangerous so when you when you chart out um and let's say for the sake of argument we just use calendar years and you go back to 1982 or something like that Mm -hmm. you'll find that it's sort of up 30 percent down 15 percent, up six percent down nine percent it's 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 all over the shop i mean that's Mm -hmm. that's the nature of the beast it's just that it tends to average around that that mark um, I've, I've said previously um, on this podcast that I'd actually think it, we might struggle to sort of get 10% on average compound over the next five years just, just mm. because of where we are mm. in the cycle. So it's, 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 a, it's a useful benchmark for, for looking at your long-term expected return, but mm. just don't expect that um, on any particular year and understand that it's only something that will likely resolve over, over an extended period of time. That's a really good point, mate. So a couple of things, I'm going
0: to add a couple to uh, to your answer. The first is that uh, you're right. So so the first thing is we say, I, I normally say nine to 11, and then it kind of rebreats to 10, because that's about the range, as you said, Ram. It does depend on which country, which market, what time frame you use, how many mm. decades you go back. And I will say, by the way, because of the nature of compounding, the last number you use is dramatically different, right? So if you go back mm. um, a year <laughs> to a kind of, you know, the depths of the, of the COVID crash... Um, the number you would have returned then as an average return versus now as an average return is dramatically mm. different. And so even though you're going over 14 years to 2007, Jason's question, you would have a really, really big difference in those two numbers just on the basis of the last 12 months' return, even though we're looking over 14 years because the mm. end point really matters. I said on Friday... You know, I should go through at some point and work out the average return if you had calculated you know, X dollars a month over that period or whatever period of time you choose. Um, equally, as you said, mate, if you chose at the bottom of 2009, you're doing fantastically. If you chose the top of 2007, you're doing fantastically. I have done just some numbers very quickly. So two, two data points. The first is, to your point about dividends, you always, 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 always must include dividends. In fact, it's more important in Australia than elsewhere because our dividend yields are higher. Than average, so you must mm. include dividends. You can't just look at the all Lords, Jason. So that is a um, a trap for young players. No, no, no criticism for making it, but um, you've got to include dividends in in the all odds. They 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 something. I, I want to say, mate, the average ten percent return is kind of made up of roughly used to be about four and a half percent dividends and five and a half percent.
1: Yeah, it's about half
0: capital yeah. growth, right? Yeah, so it's, you know, it's yeah. if you exclude those, you really do lose a massive chunk. So that's the first yep. thing. So oh, can I just just, just on okay. that
1: before you go on to, yeah. to resolve that conundrum? The S and P also has an index called the All Ordinaries Accumulation Index, and that's exactly what I'm about to talk about. You've oh, I bet you do, it. because yep. yep.
0: I've got some numbers.
1: I've got some numbers. Yeah. Explain what the accumulation index is first, mate, then I'll go through the numbers. The the, the Well, uh, one step back. I, it. it I, I think this is entirely an appropriate thing to do. Imagine if you owned an investment property and you didn't include the rental return. Like, yeah, totally. It's silly, right? Like, of, of yep, course yep, you yep. include uh, rent and, yep. and, of, and of course you you include dividends. Yep. Um, it doesn't include franking credits Correct. Um, and it doesn't include tax as well. So the accumulation mm-hmm. index basically, so it looks at all of the stocks that are in the all odds. There's, there's close to 500 of them. And whenever they buy a dividend, it reinvests them back into the index as well. So, you, you yeah. get that added yeah. compounding effect on, on top of it. Um, just Google it. You'll, you'll find a nice technical definition if, if you really want to mm. get into the weeds. But that's basically what mm. it does. Mm. Like it. Um, so, that's important. Thank you for the extra clarification.
0: So, I've done the numbers. Well... Capital IQ from Standard Poor's and the numbers for me, thankfully, and the market. Believe it or not, mate. So <laughs> I'm going to put you on this spot just for fun, just for pure amusement for myself. <laughs> okay. If if I'd said in aggregate, not 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 annualised, how much is the market up in total percentage terms between the first of January 07 and today, the twentieth of May 2021, with dividends? Yes. With dividends.
1: Uh, per annum or altogether? No, total. Total. Forty years. Total. Gain. Seventy percent. Keep going. One hundred percent.
0: Keep going. Two hundred percent. Close enough. One hundred thirty percent is is the, is the okay. Wow. And so that's that's the value of including those dividends. Really, really important to include those dividends. Um, so th- what looks like a gain of what was it sixty seven to seventy two hundred? like, what would that have been? No. Was it? Uh, can't work out the Ten percent? Something like that. Uh, when you include the dividends, just literally starting from that one point, just first of January, 'o seven, you get one hundred thirty percent return. Now that's not that's fourteen years. So it's not even, yeah, and you got to compound it. So it's probably seven percent a year, something like a compound around. I think if I was betting mm-hmm. yep. then, I was yep. sort of roughly trying to work that out. Um, yep. So that that's important. So you know, it's not ten, absolutely. But again, you choose the starting point and the end point. Um, I've said before, by the way, it's also true of even shorter time periods. So if you look any any fund manager releasing say, uh, numbers right now, will likely say, "Hey, look how well I've done! It. Look at my one year return of my fund. How good am I?" It's like, mm. dude, one year ago the market was had, had absolutely crashed. If you couldn't you know make money over that 12 month period you really either got a hand in your badge or you're not trying to <laughs> you're not trying to make money yeah. you, you, you know you've got some other strategy right so you, you couldn't not have made money between last year and this year is that does that you know it's just doing a great job no um, a huge uh, call out shout out mate for Steve Johnson from Forager Funds it is a slight competitor of our Motley Fool um, fund business called Lakehouse Capital but but you know he's a good guy and they're a good, they're a good team um, he had some great results himself and the first thing he said was Don't look at the one-year return. Of course it's good. Mm -hmm. The market was massively down last year. Uh, And you don't see many fund managers actually say, hey, don't pay attention to my stupidly good returns Mm -hmm. because there's a reason that they're not, you know, that they're as good as they are and it's not repeatable and it's not only down to our own skill. Now, I think he probably did beat the market over that time and he does deserve credit for for a great result. But he was, you know, one of the few who will absolutely say up front, including, by the way, our own Joe Mega at Lakehouse would Mm -hmm. say the same thing for what it's worth. But just that idea of just hand up saying, you know what, we did really, really well but hey, the market was up, so so ignore that. So, Jason, really important to think about time periods. So that's the first thing about seven percent a year, including dividends, which is not ten percent, absolutely, but kind of around there. And again, you'd kind of depend on what endpoint you use. If the market goes up another, you know, ten percentage points this year, uh, in the next you know week, month or two, and, and by the time we get to some lower numbers, maybe that you know gets to ten percent just because of the vagaries of of short-term share price movements, as Ram says. Second thing, it, last it, thing for me on this one is, if you go to just Google Vanguard Index Chart. Um, and they have a 30-year chart, which is a really wonderful job. Uh, it's one of my favourite, 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 favourite charts. Um, it, just, it just shows share price over 30 years. And they, the last yep. numbers I saw from them over 30-year period, which is arbitrary, but but pretty good. <laughs> it's a long period. The average return for Australian shares was 8.9% per annum over that time period. Again, that's roughly that 9 to 11% we say. Is it 10 again? No. Um, but But, you know, again... Be very clear. We weren't making a forecast. Uh, we're not making a prediction. We're never necessarily picking every year or some years or some time frames. We're just saying broadly about nine to eleven percent is what you can reasonably expect um, in the past. Uh, I would say I think I will reasonably expect in the future. Ram, you've said you think a bit less, uh, but that's that's the that's the story. That's hopefully Jason puts your concerns to bed. Any and any it's way, also
1: mate? yeah. Just yet? one more thing, which is it's also it's not an. It's not the absolute numbers that matter per se, but the yep. numbers in context relative to other opportunities. I mean, you, you can put yeah. your money wherever you want, you know. So it, it's a question of – so you've got to look at your other al- alternatives. You could have put it into a term deposit. You could have just left it in the bank. You could have bought some government bonds. You could have bought an investment mm-hmm. property. So it, it's all about sort of saying where is the best risk-adjusted return – that I could have got over that period. So even if it ends up being 7% per year, if that's still three or 4% per annum above everything else, it's it still sort of makes yeah. a very solid argument for equity investing long-term.
0: I think that's true. I, I think I, I absolutely agree with that, although I will say just to give Adele's advocate, that's true, but if we are gonna claim absolute numbers rather than relative numbers, we should be accountable to those numbers, right? So yeah, sure. you're right, even yeah. if it was less, it's still better than you would've got almost anywhere else. So you say, well, that still makes it worthwhile and it does. Um, but if the number was seven, we should say seven rather than 10, right? So um, just in Jason's defense, I think it's a, it's a fair question to ask, but as you yeah, also totally. said, Ram, even if it's not, what else, what else do you do? What else would you do? Uh, and yeah. the answer for us is still shares. We think is probably the, the best way to go. Yep. Um, and let's go to another question then from, well, this one's from Gunny. I love this one. He um, says, Hey mate, I was listening a lot to the podcast. I think it was the last one with the doc. And I believe I heard you say you don't have any stocks currently in your portfolio that you've owned for more than 15 years. Did I hear that correctly? I understand circumstances change and things don't always go to plan, but isn't the first rule from Zen Masters Buffett and Munger never interrupt compounding unnecessarily? That certainly is, Gunny. If you're holding for the long term or forever to let the magic uh, magic of compounding happen, 15 years for your longest held stock doesn't seem to follow on. Keep up the great work on the pod and welcome to Andrew as well. Cheers from Gunny. I'll get a first one to you first again, mate. What what would you say to Gunny? 15 years of my... Am I interrupting compounding unnecessarily?
1: No, great, great question. I, I, there's a there's a quote that I often hear you say, which I'm really tempted to, but I'll let I'll let you say <laughs> no, it. Oh, well, no, um, you take it, you take it. Well, it it you you buy with the intention to hold forever, but but at the same time, it's it's reckless to ignore uh, objective reality. So mm. I buy a company. I genuinely hope I hold it forever, and it just continues to compound away. Why would I interrupt that? At the same time, if I've just learned that the CFO is taken off to the Cayman Islands with all of the company's <laughs> money, and they're being investigated by multiple regulatory bodies, I mean that you know, you, when the facts change, you must change your mind. Okay. Um, so, so there's there's that. Uh, even though you even though you went in with that intention, um, things have changed, and sometimes too. Um, the market just gives you too good an opportunity. So they, they, there's sometimes when stocks just get they get silly on the downside, but they can get silly on the upside. And yeah. so I'll I'll sell not because I have any difference of opinion in terms of what the business is going to do, but just Mr. Market has offered me a price that is, is too good to be true, and I'm, I'm I'm just I'm just happy to 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 take that. Yeah. What I would say is that I, I certainly have the intention of staying invested forever. Yep. so yep. The, the individual stocks might change um, and I would say on I haven't worked it out but on average I think my average holding period is at least three or four years there's there's exceptions mm-hmm. to that sometimes it's shorter sometimes it's much longer but but um, yeah uh, well, and, and one other and one other thing I, I suppose is is that you know, 15 years is still a long time, <laughs> you, know, for, you know, and, yeah, and Buffett, yeah. Buffett himself sells all the time as well. So <clears throat> there's a lot of real great Buffett wisdom out there that I think people sometimes take too literally or take a little bit out of context. You know, it's like one of the famous ones is he has this. He has these rules of investing. Rule one: never lose money. Rule two: never forget rule number one. <laughs> yeah. And and it's kind of you know, it's sort of like people go, ah, oh, you know, but but then one of his shares went down. So he, there's a difference between sort yeah. of volatility and short-term yeah. paper loss and permanent yeah. loss of capital and stuff too. So there's within all of these these nuggets of wisdom, there is there is nuance. There is, there is context. So yeah, um, yeah. I like it, mate. Um
0: yeah, like I think, so I think a couple of things uh, from me, Gunny. The first is Andrew's point about just compounding as a portfolio rather than individual stocks. So, you know, whatever whatever I've sold, I've put money back into. I've never, I don't think I've ever taken a dollar out of my investment account, Andrew. I think that's, I think that's, I'm 94.38% sure that's true. Um, mm-hmm. Ever since I started investing, I don't think I've ever extracted money from that account. So, whatever compounding has been done, the question would simply be did I pull it from a bad place, put it in a better place, or a worse place? Uh, mm-hmm. I've probably made both mistakes, by the way, over, over time. Um, I'm also only 28, so starting my investment when I was 13 wasn't wasn't. No, I'm not buying it. Okay, um, 28. I was, yeah, I was, was going to try, cl- try. and claim that. Um, now, look, I think you know, I think I, I will say too. I, I made I made a lot of mistakes early on. Is the other thing right? So uh, the stocks I sold, I feel really good about selling. Um, no, I totally sold Woolworths right. at 30 something dollars about 10 years ago. Um, it's now 40 dollars, which is fine. But you know, I, I, I've done better than that having sold. Um, I owned Westfield. When it, was, when it merged into that kind of from the, the old development company structure into the whole entire company, including the unit trust, the returns from that were terrible and continued to be terrible. So I, made, I avoided some losses or made better choices selling out and buying something else. Um, I've had some, <laughs> some rubbish very early in my investing career before I got smart. Uh, so I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not at all ashamed of, of having sold that. It might be longer than 15 years now. I, I really honestly don't know. Um, I was definitely adding to positions in two thousand and eight in the GFC, so that's at least what thirteen years ago now. Um, and I assume that's just held longer than that. Broadly speaking, yeah. Look, I've uh, to your point about the average holding period. Um, I sell so incredibly rarely, as you as you know. Um, I would say my average holding period. Well, because because I'm adding to positions regularly, average holding period starting to get a bit screwy, right? Because it's kind of if if you own company X five years ago, you bought more yesterday. What's the average holding period? Is it two and a half mm. years? Is it five years? Is it whatever? Mm. Um, but I, I think it's a, I think it's a really long, a, a long time, I'm getting longer every day because I just I sell so incredibly frequently, um, and and just keep adding. So you, you're you're absolutely right, Gunny. We absolutely shouldn't interrupt compounding necessarily. If I if I bought better early on, uh, I would be much richer and would have a longer holding period. Put it that way. So uh, you're right. It's it's a really good challenge. It's a perfect question to ask. And all things being equal, uh, if I can if I can lengthen that long, I mean, I think I think well, Berkshire Hathaway is one of my oldest holdings. And you would probably have to sell those after I'm dead to get me to part ways with those with those shares. So, not, not, not impossible. I'll sell them under some circumstances. Post Buffett Munger, maybe the thing goes on a, you know, has a terrible result. But again, as you said, Andrew, holding them blindly and almost kind of, you know, <laughs> almost got almost, yeah, cut my nose to spite my face. Holding them just mm. to make a point. Yeah, I'm losing money, but at least I didn't sell. It's like, mm. ah, let's can we, can we go through it again? Because that doesn't seem like the right approach. So, you know, yeah. that, that's, that's the answer for me anyway, Gunny
1: one more point I might you sort of said you made some dumb decisions early on absolutely oh, guilty of that um <laughs> God I look at some of the things and she's what was I thinking yeah, having yeah, said yeah. that i would I would say that if if we're doing this podcast in ten years time I'll be saying <laughs> oh my god you know 2021 she's I was holding this I, i'm 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 convinced that there is is more than a few stocks in my portfolio that I will really regret. Um, but as I said on Friday, that's, that's part and parcel of it. You know, this isn't this isn't strike rate isn't important. It's the average that matters. So, I, I think I think mistakes are just part of it. I think I'll continue to make them. And when I and and the real the real trick here is is to be mm. honest with yourself yeah. and objective. Yeah. So yeah. There, there is making a mistake is one thing. Compounding and doubling down on a mistake yeah, is, 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 right is right. another thing altogether. So, crap, like a
0: bloody mindedness would be a really silly thing to do,
1: right? Oh, it's just silly, you know, and, yeah. and you know, you see people all the time like averaging down because <laughs> it makes the loss look less yeah, yeah, and yeah, all of these right. kinds of things. If you've made that's a mistake, right. you've made a mistake. It's a learning experience. It's yeah. always going to happen. You could be the greatest investor in the world. I mean, look at, look, you just mentioned Buffett's history recently. He's made a whole mm. bunch mm. of mistakes, you know? Mm. Um, well, at least, at least it looks that way now. Yeah. Um, but even even objectively there's there's uh, there's undoubtedly mistakes within all of that it, it happens and and when and when when that happens, you've got to recognize it you've got to realize it and you've got to just mm-hmm. pull that band-aid off and move on. But as long as you keep that capital to your point you know yes. in the mix and continuing to work, you don't have you don't have to continue to ride on the same. Horse, you know, as a jockey, you can you can try change horses yeah. halfway through the race, uh, multiple times. You don't want to do it too often, and, and the rest of it. But it's just yeah. it's keeping yeah. all of that pool of capital in there, exposed to good quality things, and just letting it do its thing, and making making prudent adjustments all, all along the way.
0: Yep. Um, the last company I sold was Coca-Cola Amatil. That was another mistake I made. I think it was the last company I sold. I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, another mistake I made of overvaluing a business that was already dominant in its market, didn't have enough growth room, so I've, I've, I continue to make mistakes. Uh, I'll, I'll mention Domino's again because I just seem to like to, you know, whip, whack, <laughs> whack myself on that one. Uh, Domino's I sold stupidly on valuation grounds at $13 after the shares gone up 80%, thinking I was a genius. They went to 70 and then above, so, you know, work that, work that out. So, yes, I've absolutely made those mistakes, Gunny, and, and I, I'm poorer for it, uh, at least those ones, I've, I've held on to others and done okay, and as you say, Ram, I put the money back into better horses. In in a lot of cases, not at all, of course, you, including Dominoes.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I think um, there's 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 a difference between making a mistake and making the same mistake over and over again. <laughs> yeah, so that's absolutely true. The, the longer you the longer you sort of stick at this, you, yeah. you'll still continue to make mistakes, <laughs> but you'll you'll probably make them less frequently and you'll avoid. Yeah. You'll avoid making the same mistakes. So again, I I look at some of the, the stocks I was buying ten years ago, and think you know in, with benefit of hindsight, what a terrible decision. But it was yeah, also, yeah. geez, it was a wonderful learning experience. And, and I just, and now I'm I'm more experienced and better off for it. I just I don't tend to make those same mistakes um, again. <laughs> so it's yeah. it's and 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 the beautiful thing is as as are as your the value of your holdings uh, grow, and you know yep. as your earnings power increases, and that it's actually a good thing. Is as, as as you have more and more capital, there you become more and, uh, a better and better investor, and you 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 don't avoid you, you you avoid making the same mistakes. That's the really powerful thing. Where you really need to look yourself in the eye, seriously in the mirror, is when you just keep doing the same thing. It's the definition of insanity, yeah, right? right? Doing the same yep. thing and expecting a different result. So it's kind yep, sort of like you know, yeah, fool, fool me once, uh, shame on you. Fool me 400 times, you know, shame on me kind of thing. <laughs> All right.
0: Let's move to a question from Isaac. Hopefully that helped, uh, Gunny. Uh, Isaac says, hello, Scott. A question for the podcast. Firstly, I'm loving the addition of Andrew to the team. Well done, mate. You're both providing Thanks. awesome, easy to understand insight into the investing world. I've always said, mate, people say, you break it down really nicely, Scott. Make it really simple. I'm like, I'm a simple man. Like, I can't do <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't mistake my inability to get to complexity for actually deliberately making it simple. I just happen to be simple. All right. Isaac says, am I a bad investor? That's a leading question. I've been investing for a few years now. I started with some very conservative and boring shares. A friend got me onto the Fool. Thank you, friend. Uh, and I'm now an EO member, Extreme Opportunities. I've slowly moved my portfolio over to growth. EO shares with some ETFs that the Fool's like. I feel good about the portfolio I'm building. Excellent. I'm in it for the long haul. Even better. I have no dramas riding the waves of the market. That's a pretty good trifecta. However, he says, I feel really baffled by the numbers and terms used to value companies, share prices, growth, etc. etc. I have a read of the company announcements in the ComSec app, but I don't feel I know where to look to find an issue if there was one. They are all great at making it look like they are awesome. Yeah, they really are. Mm-hmm. Is there a company or share health check for dummies formula? Thanks team. Mm. That's from Isaac. What would you tell Isaac, man? How would you how would you go about it? Is, there, is there a health
1: check for dummies? Um, it's such a great question and uh, sadly the answer is no. Like it, it kind of makes sense if you think about it if it was that easy we'd all be using it and yeah, we'd all be killing problem. it. it yeah. it's just it's not. I'm, I'm always yeah. <clears throat> I'm always very skeptical of this certain Uh, companies out there that have a little bit of a black box and if you just follow this you'll you know it's like (laughs) really it's kind of like if i had a formula to turn lead into gold i could either use the formula or i could sell you the formula now i know what i would do so (laughs) if i had some like you know the simple ratio or metric or something that i could use and and always make great decisions Mm. then i just i just do it you know i i I, and um so, so unfortunately, the answer is is no. It's it's in a way, it's it's kind of very hard. And and you're also you're also competing against. I, I think it's also good to have a, a huge amount of humility with this. I mean, you're competing against really well resourced, highly educated, highly experienced people out there. Right and and to assume that you're the smartest person in the room and this isn't i'm I'm not directing this at isaac at all i'm I'm saying this about myself you know or anyone i just Mm. i just think that is that pride before fall moment so it's it's really hard i i i think what what do i think i i think um I think it, it is just an ongoing process that never ends, um, yeah. and and you just th- there's no shortcuts to it. You need to read, and then you need to read some more. You need to do, <laughs> and you need to do some more, and yeah. you'll just get it, it's like the it's like the ten thousand hours kind of thing. You know, if you the, mm. the I, I forget who said it or where it comes from, but you know, if you put ten thousand hours into anything, that's how you become a master. So if I if I practice the violin for ten thousand hours, I'll probably become really, really, really good at it. It's it's the same for investing and and i i just can't be a uh, you know a world class violinist after a week it's just not it's not possible <laughs> right, right. um and it's 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 the same with investing so mm. it, and 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 i really get where isaac's coming from because i've been there before and so i'm still there you know you know in a, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a in a large degree which is mm. it's really intimidating it's so so intimidating because You've got all these accounting concepts and economic concepts and business concepts, and there's always exceptions to the rule, and then yeah. even when they are right, they can take a while to sort of surface and be realized. It's super hard. It's super, super, super hard. Um, so all I could suggest is I know that uh, The Fool has some great reading lists out there. The, the great the the, the 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 big lessons the the the, the eternal wisdom of investing will <laughs> never change. And and, and mm-hmm. I think you start with that. I think all of us start with. We we, we should have a drinking game wherever you mention Buffett. We've got to take the skull because <laughs> we'd <laughs> be on the floor the by the end of the podcast. <laughs> but but I think of all the great investors I know, I think that's so so many of them start there because it just makes yeah. such intuitive sense. And he has this ability mm. to sort of cut through all the jargon and nonsense. It's just like I just it just makes sense. And then you can sort of go deeper into that and and it's it's just an ongoing process. So that being said, one other thing is, so investing can and is quite difficult but it also it also can be very easy it depends on the game that you want to play if you want to start out saying hey i'm going to be a day trader and yeah. i'm i'm going to manage a highly concentrated portfolio with a high degree of turnover and that's 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 that's, that's a very high degree of difficulty but at yeah. the other end of the spectrum you've got someone who says listen i'm interested in building wealth i just find all of this stuff boring as the proverbial bat s and i'm not interested and, and I've said before, my advice for family and friends who fall into that bucket, and almost all of them do, which is just buy an ETF, yeah, um, totally. add to right. it regularly, and, and you yeah. don't you don't have to think about anything. Yep. You don't have to do yep. any work. And I'm I'm not saying that you'll be buying a Ferrari next week. In fact you definitely won't, and, and not yeah. even after ten years, potentially. But you'll compound your wealth at such an attractive rate and yeah. not not the best that was theoretically possible. But as we were saying before, let, let's call the market average seven percent, just just for the sake of argument. You'll double your money every ten years, and yeah, and right. and then if you continue to add, it's just be, it's so 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 powerful. So so make it as hard as as you want. Um, I would say, um, and I also so I'm going on a bit here, but I would also say this: um, understand yourself. Um, you tend to be good at things that you're interested in and that you enjoy because. That's true. Because it's not work; it's kind mm. of like it's it's play; it's fun for you, and and for most people, this kind of stuff—reading annual reports, company statements—you know—they're they, just a lot of people, understandably, don't like that, and that's fine. But be mm. honest with yourself: if that's not you, if you don't enjoy business studies and all of this kind of stuff, then just frame frame your approach around that. And if you are, well, then then you can sort of go down that more direct route. So mm. yeah, just just. Start with that, and I think that's a good good place to, to begin.
0: Love it. Can't have much more than that. Isaac, a couple of things I would just add quickly. Um, if you're looking for – so the hard part with investing, we talked about this on Friday a little bit. It's, it's you know, what are the – the red flags, if you if you buy quality to start with – so here's – if you want to really dumb it down, I used to I've, – I've said this many, many times around. I don't know if I've said this since you've been back. I used to do spreadsheets with 60 ratios on them. I used, to, <laughs> yeah, I used exactly. to have my annual reports mailed to me because I'm that old. That wasn't the internet. I would literally take out the revenue line and type it in sell A1. I'd put in the cost of goods sold in, in A2. And then I'd put in the, uh, what, and I would literally, and then I'd calculate the quick ratio, the current ratio. I'd calculate cash conversion cycles. I'd calculate uh, interest cover. I'd cover I, like uh, gross margins, changing gross margins, price earnings growth. Like it would, I, like it just everything, right? Everything. Mm, and mm. the longer I've done this, the less of that I do. Because <laughs> I mm. kind of, it's like, you know, the, what is it? Not everything that be counted counts and not the yeah. accounts can be counted. And it's one mm. of those things where if you take a portfolio approach and you find good, strong, growing businesses available for reasonable prices that have reasonably understandable financials and reasonably conservative balance sheets on, a, on, on the whole, not all, but on a whole, net-net, I think you're probably going to do pretty well. You know, despite the mistakes. And I think that's what I've probably learned. I mentioned this again on Friday. I I overweighted the risks in the past. I'm sort of a high growth investor. I'm sort of going for the the bleeding edge stuff necessarily. And you're 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 much more a small cap investor than I am. But um, generally speaking, I'm like, well, you know what? I think that business has got meaningful growth potential left. I think it's a good quality business. The results are pretty good. The balance sheet looks in decent shape. There's not too much debt. Mm. And if I buy enough of those, I I figure I'm going to do reasonably well. And so that's Mm. kind of... Like, you know, maybe maybe that's, you know, what's the difference between wisdom and intelligence, but kind of, you know, dumbing down the number of individual things you need to actually look at realistically. Like, there's so much data out there, so much noise, right? How much really matters? And for me as an investor at a portfolio level, which is where I try and concentrate rather than a company specific level is, do I have enough companies that have really good long-term potential available for reasonable prices and reasonably conservative financials? Yep. Okay, so net-net on average, I expect to do reasonably well. <music> Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Let's move on to a question from Frogger or a comment from Frogger. Actually, Frogger says, "Uh, guys, I was listening to a recent podcast and heard you say someone messaged you asking you to talk less politics. I can't see how you could have a finance podcast and not at least mention politics when it influences finance so much. The only thing you can do is do your best not to show bias and walk an impartial line. I think you do a pretty good job. That's it. Thanks, Roger. appreciate that, mate. Um, we'll keep doing our best. We, we have our own... I don't think we really have political biases. We have probably policy biases or preferences, but the bias is the idea of, like, you know, a bias is something that doesn't rely on judgment. We hope to bring judgment to this stuff, and if that means sometimes we're more right than left or sometimes more left than right, just because that seems the most logical thing, um, hopefully that's not bias showing through as in, you know, prejudice or prejudgment. It's just the reality of how we think the circumstances sit, policies fit, uh, and political discussions kind of roll out. And you're right, they do absolutely impact finance um, and they impact you know i've i've long said the best thing politicians can do for us is to deliver us a strong robust society and everything flows from that if you can't and, and you know and i'm not even going to say you know on which party's policies or in which specific direction in this case doesn't really matter i mean i have views on both parties doing different things at different times but generally speaking if they can eschew short-term rubbish and lobbying and special interest groups and set up the strongest possible society we can have with the best long-term potential, the rest kind of flows from that, right? It's kind of, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, have you anything to add to that? Oh, I'll move on.
1: Yeah, I, I, I guess I would say it's, it is hard to avoid. But even if you do completely avoid politics, bias is still there. I, I've got a bias against resource companies. Um, right. Because because of the economics um, and, and other factors as well, I've got. I just a bias, just that,
0: mate. I guess that's my point, right? I don't think it is. I, I think bias is something that, that is colouring your views, regardless of the facts. That's that's like, if, okay. if, you know, mm. if you if you were to say, I've done some research and I think on average, a resource company is not worth investing in. That's a heuristic. I don't think it's a bias. I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to defend you or, or split hairs, but I kind of think that's the point, right? If I if 95 of my comments are pro right or pro left, but they're all genuinely formed from first principles. Is that bias? Well, it is. If I say, "Well, I love the Liberal Party, so I like their stuff," or "I love Labor, so I love their stuff," mm. or "I don't like resource companies because I hate the fact they're digging up the earth," so I can never, I can never like their financials. That's mm. a bias. I think to your point, if you're saying, "Well, these businesses on average aren't particularly great investments," so I choose not to invest in them. That I guess mm. that's what I. That's why I want to separate because people. You know what people see by, by bias is stuff other people think that you disagree with, that you need to somehow criticize them for. right? It's that personal idea of like. I hate the fact you think the resource companies are crap. You must be biased. No, I just have you know, independently, intrinsically decided based on the evidence. I might be wrong. I might, you know, I be, I'm might, i absolutely wrong, but I don't think you can say you're biased about resource companies. You just look at the numbers and go on, as an investor, this doesn't make sense. Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think that that, that bleeds into the politics thing as well. I'll, I'll, um, right. <laughs> I'll put a target on my back right now. I think what... Uh, <laughs> Oh, dear. Angus Taylor and the government did recently with their gas-fired <laughs> plant it was stupid, and and I I will I will defend that. And, but it's not. I guess my the, the point that I would make is that that's not a view. That's not because it was the liberals that did it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it it was because as you your point is as a policy to it Just it wasn't backed by all the expert opinion and yep. all and all and all the kind of facts. So so yeah. y- you can say something which appears as though you're against a particular party yeah, but I'm exactly. not. I vote I've voted both sides um, yep. a- so. and will continue to do so but but on a, on an individual policy basis I think you can have a very strong view. And and maybe even still end up like voting liberal in the next election. That's that's totally Mm. fine. But it's just, Mm. you know, one thing I've never understood is people who say I'm an ex voter. I'm a Labor voter. I was (laughs) like, what do you mean? I don't I don't get that. I mean, you you can be someone who more often than not does or always has, but because Mm. you've you've gone that way because all of their policies tend to resonate with you. But to do it unthinkingly just seems like it it it's a breakdown of of democracy. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 I would like, maybe I, I'm kidding myself here, but I would like to think that each election that comes around, I, I, make, I make a judgment based on the policies that they're taking and which ones I tend to agree with. And mm. um, it's, it's not just a case of I'm a Labor guy, I'm a Greens guy, I'm a Nationals guy, I'm a Le- whatever it happens to be. You've got to apply judgment to each circumstance as it comes along. There we go. Here's one from Patrick.
0: He says, Hi, Scott. I enjoyed the recent mailbag question about trends in three to five years and your and Andrew's analysis on investing in themes. It certainly made me question some of the ETF decisions I have made. Now, just quick editorial. If you go back, it was last week, man, I think it might have been, uh, we had one question basically saying, well, what trends would you invest in and what ETFs could you, could you invest in as a result? And we kind of went pretty deep into that and had some uh, good conversation about the sort of things we'd look for, but also the sort of things we'd be careful of. So if you're looking mm. at thematic ETFs, go back and have a listen. I have a question, says Patrick, along a similar vein. Do you look for specific ideas or functions that particular businesses display? For example, do you look at metrics such as convenience, e.g. online retail to the customer, engagement of the product, e.g. computer games and virtual worlds are super fun, etc. I appreciate that this like thematic investing is quite general, but I wonder if there are certain generalized things that good businesses do or good businesses are involved in today and will be in the next three to five years. Mm. This is really cool. And then he does mm. uh, what what the other question did last week, I can't remember his name. Personally, he says, I think a factor such as convenience to the customer is driving a lot of business models like the mailbag gentleman whose name I've forgotten he says I have too I've also attempted to at least partially offer an answer to my own question well done thanks and I also agree your podcast is the Rolls Royce of financial podcasts <laughs> it improves my financial literacy sharpens my analysis and perhaps most importantly keeps me grounded and balanced in my investment decisions keep up the great work from Patrick thank you mate that's very very kind of you and a really really good question um, I'm going to go first mate just for, just for fun because I've thrown yeah, the last Yeah, mix it up. You yep. first yeah please um so Patrick, I love this. I um, There's a whole lot of work on competitive advantages generally and I think, I don't know that I would look at specific themes or trends the way you identified them, but they're kind of, they're also examples or, or, or subsets or maybe just different ways of expressing some of those competitive advantages. So convenience, for example, really, really important one. Um, is it its own thing? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I'd invest in the corner store rather than the Woolworths that was... You know, another kilometre away, for example, um, because it can, convenience is part of the story, and I think it's enough in my mind. It may, maybe, may well be. I'm not sure it's enough. That being said, um, the, uh, the the things that kind of may describe convenience. So I'm an Amazon shareholder, for example. I, I tweeted this week. Um, follow me at tmf scott p. Quick ad while you're here. I'll do the others in a minute. Um, about Amazon and Amazon Prime. Now, I'm a Prime me- shareholder, so full disclosure. I'm biased. Uh, I'm a Prime member. And I have bought mate, I have put so much crap from Amazon over the last six months, can I say? Um, <laughs> and it's partly because I'm a shareholder, kind of, but I've been a shareholder for years. It's mostly because I'm a Prime member and all of a sudden freight's free. And so now I'm thinking, well, hang on, I don't have to go and buy a hundred bucks worth of stuff to justify a $10 freight charge. Mm-hmm. I-, I can buy, you know, um, I don't know, coffee pods. I bought, we, we buy our coffee pods regularly from Amazon now rather than buying from Woolies because they're just there and it's easy and the, the app's in front of me and I just do because I do. It's freight free. So if I buy ten, twenty, thirty dollars worth of coffee pods at a time, I don't have to think. I don't have to aggregate the cart. I just send it straight through. Now, because I don't have to aggregate the cart, I don't forget it's there. I don't add it to the cart and think when I've got enough stuff, I'll then place the buy order. I just buy it straight away, and Amazon delivers it in a couple of days. And so that's convenient. So to your question, Patrick, that's exactly an example. But I think that's more than that. I think it's the lock in of Prime and the benefits of scale. Now, if that's if that nets out at convenience, that's great. Um, I don't know that convenience in and of itself is enough, but it's certainly part of the story and certainly part of the Amazon story. So I'm agreeing with you at the same time as I'm saying maybe it's also a little bit bigger than that, um, but I love it. I love scale. I love brands. I think brands are still, a lot of people don't like brands these days because it's all about tech and it's all very cool. Um, brands are the difference between buying something that happens to be cheapest or most Interrupting. In other words, you see an ad on something, so you buy it straight away. And the places you actually will go voluntarily because that's in your brain. Whether that's the can of Coke I've got in front of me, going to Woolworths because that's where I shop, going to Amazon because that's where I shop, the familiarity, what the brand stands for. Not just brand is in some esoteric thing. But if I think Amazon, I think price, convenience, service, freight free, there in two days. Okay, Mm. cool. Now, if I think about where I'm going to shop online... What else could I want? What else could make me shop somewhere else? Maybe a different product, maybe a slightly cheaper price, but you're going to get the freight free. So you start to aggregate those things. Um, so, kind of, I, I kind of completely agree with you, Patrick, but also I'd probably just go back to the broader competitive advantage. So, if it's convenience and convenience is a summary for other things, and I completely agree. I know it's enough in, in and of itself, but I, I think that's right. Customer engagement, I think, is really great. And that kind of speaks to a different version of brand, which is just. Kind of customer love, customer passion, customer engagement—whatever you call it—that is super important, right? Um, look at Tesla. Look at Apple. I own neither, either the shares or the, or the, or the uh, products. People line up for an iPhone, right? That is off the charts. Uh, people pay two or three times for a new Tesla what they could pay for an alternative vehicle, um, for for different combinations of reasons: the cool factor, the brand factor, the environmental factor, the Elon factor, the electric just kind of gadget factor. Um, I've said before that I think the best thing Elon's done, which it comes from my perspective it's not the tech per se that needs to be done he's gadgetified cars he's made them like the iPhone of the vehicle world right so I could buy a Nokia car which would be a Toyota Camry which would be great perfect cheap do the job wonderful or I could buy the thing with the buttons and the dials and the, the car that farts when you press the horn and you're like that, that seriously and yet we all smile we hear it, we go oh that's, that's okay that's pretty cool that, that's you know that, the, the, the brand of that the, the brand total of that is super super valuable so I love those. Um, yeah, I think that, so that, that's how I probably, so I think you're right, you're absolutely right. Uh, I would probably just characterize in a slightly different context, which may be a little bit broader, but I think you're on exactly the right track if you follow that line of thinking, as long as you allow for the fact that sometimes, for example, the most convenient stuff isn't the most profitable, or sometimes the most engaging products don't have a business model to support them. So you've got to go that extra bit further, but I think they are really great kind of Peter Lynch examples of scuttlebutt right hey that seems easy and, and you know that's easy to use that that seems i do that a lot maybe there's something there or oh, gee i love mm. this game it's great everyone else loves it too hang on maybe there's an investment idea there i think it's a wonderful way to start digging up some ideas sorry Ram, yeah. this a bit of a rant mate any 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 thoughts from you to
1: want to top that yeah or just just to patrick's question just to sort of generalize that out i think and i think amazon's a good example of this but it's 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 the leadership team, the CEO, the founder that thinks mm. beyond the next quarter results.
0: Yeah, that's too, important
1: too, right? Too many companies are just trying to manage the share price. Um, love you it, you know, and it's it's just sort of like, yeah, you can you can prop things up for a while with that, but sooner or later, reality comes crashing down. I, I love. I love the management teams that are thinking five years out. They couldn't give mm. two mm. stuffs about what the share price is doing. Yeah, And frankly, they shouldn't, right? The only time it really matters is if you're looking to raise some capital from the market. Other than that, who cares, yeah. who cares right? I mean, yes, yeah. yes, you want it to be high. Obviously, you do. But they're also the people that understand that, well, we can we – can, where it's, it's delayed gratification in a lot of ways. It's just like we could be a lot more, and there's a lot of great companies, I think, in this space at the moment where they could be much more profitable today if they yeah. cut all of their R&D and they, and they just stop making investments um, yeah, for the future. All of a sudden, yeah. their costs go away and their profit shoots higher. And that, that would probably be a wonderful thing for their share price. But yeah. guess what? couple years down the line when all of their competitors start having much better products for cool the investment they've made and the long-term thinking they're just they're just going to be dust uh, anyone who doesn't sort of keep up so i think i think mm. for me that is that is something i really really look for um i think uh, digger data might be a really good example of this it's maybe a company a lot of people wouldn't heard, have heard of they, they do a lot of um uh wholesaling of uh, uh, uh electronic computer parts you know hard mm. drives Graphics card, these kinds of things. <laughs> the, the, the CEO, the founder, he just he's just so nonchalant, you know, a, a, about these kinds of things. It's like if you don't like it, get stuffed. And I love that, you know. And yeah. and surprise, surprise, the company's done incredibly well over a long period yeah. of time. Same yeah. with Bezos. I mean, how much how much rubbish did did he get for for the amount <laughs> of cash flow that he was burning through and yeah. all the rest of it? Yeah. And now look at it. So, I, I think. I think any any, and this is why I also really hate uh, um, companies with big investor relations focuses. You know, where they're paying for a lot of marketing <laughs> yeah, and articles yeah. and and paid for research. They're out there trying to tell everyone how good the shares are. It's just like that is such a big red flag for me. So I think that pe- people that that. Um, I think yeah. Think long term. I think also oh, another really good trait, and this is there's no metric for this. This just comes from sort of staying engaged with the mm. business and mm. reading all of their material and hearing them speak and, and, and the rest of it. But it's 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 people who admit mistakes you know and sort of really when things don't go well and by the way that's normal like every anyone who's ever run a business knows that it's never smooth sailing you'll always have speed bumps yeah. you'll always have hiccups you'll always do dumb things and make mistakes that's just life in general mm-hmm. but but those are, oh it wasn't our fault it was because of this it just it always irks me a little bit where those that are really straightforward with the owners of the business i.e. shareholders mm-hmm. and sort of say listen we made a mistake and we've recognized that and we're moving away from it i just i think i think that it, it it uh reveals a kind of thinking that is more likely than not to to generate um uh strong returns in 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 the long term um unfortunately it's very rare it it is it is surprisingly rare so um and then maybe one other thing that i think is a good concept i know we talk about it a lot Is just alignment people who Mm, mm. have a lot of shares in the business that they're running and not ones that have just been gifted as part of some remuneration package, but ones that have actually put their own cash into and mm-hmm. have held for mm-hmm. a long time and add opportunistically when, when they think the price is low. I think all, all of that adds up to sort of these general heuristics that more often than not point to a really, really high quality business. Mm-hmm. Um, Geez, there's actually a, there's a there's a whole bunch of rabbit holes we could go down here, but it it all it is it is a holistic view you need to take. So we've sort of given a bunch of examples, but there'll be plenty of companies that that sort of tick all those boxes that are still rubbish. So you 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 can't ignore yeah. leverage yeah. and debt and you know other things that we we haven't touched on. So it's it's all. And, and here's the other thing that's hard. I, I, I challenge. No company is perfect. So even the companies that I really, really, really love, I'm the first to admit there's mm-hmm. aspects mm-hmm. of it I don't like. Yeah. Y- you know. So, so it's it's sort of you need to have a scale there where you sort of say, well, here's all the pros and here's all the cons, and and hopefully the pros vastly out, outweigh the cons. But but there yeah. will always yeah. be sort of exceptions to the rule. So it's it's tricky. It's like we said before. There's no one sort of simple measure. But hopefully yeah. the things that we've highlighted. Um, a good a good heuristics to apply
0: there you go mate love it well done hopefully that's answered your question uh, next one we've got mate is a question um, well a comment <laughs> and for those who listen to our Motley for Money sister podcast in the US I say sister podcast but they were there before we were we just stole their name uh, it's this is a question from Turninator who's a regular correspondent it says hey Scott more of a comment than a question for the pod or perhaps a request have you ever thought of doing an ap- apropos of nothing style podcast with Andrew Obviously like the one that Chris Hill does with Bill Barker. Chris Hill posts Smartly for money in the US and Bill Barker, one of the podcast guests. They basically jump on the podcast. And they talk about just everything. Uh, one of their favourites is the Mount Rushmore of comedy or the Mount Rushmore of soups. They did the most recent one. So kind of just the just all over the place. They, they're funny, smart guys and, and lots of fun. Turnitator yeah, says, I'd like to hear where the conversation would go with less strict topics. And your style <laughs> would make for a great listen. You could ask listeners for broad topics of discussion. Run with them perhaps. I'm not sure. I I replied and said, I don't think we're funny enough and I think we'd end up back at investing, which is
1: probably about true, right? Would you agree? I would, and I'd also say I feel as though we segue and go off script, and that as, as, already, already, like you know, it's, some people it's say this is already apropos of nothing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I kind of, I kind of feel we're we're already there, but yeah, I mean, I'm not short of an opinion, but I'm also cognizant that you know a lot of it's very ill informed and and not well well backed, and, and certainly no expertise in a lot of subject areas. But it's a, it's a very interesting nice comment. Like, like the Christian Bell
0: are funny, and they do a good job. You and I could just end up being a stutler and Waldorf from from uh, the Muppets. It, so nobody wants that <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: that's exactly alright
0: yeah. question from Brad actually a comment from Brad in the question. I love this Brad thank you he says Scott I'm playing catch up on episodes but there was a moment where you can hear birds in the background and general nature sounds in the last two weeks loved it I'm here for it more please and that's from Brad thanks Brad that was actually probably at my place just some birds in the background I'm Lucky enough to live in the Southern Highlands, New South Wales with plenty of trees around. So occasionally you hear that. Uh, actually the dog in the room at the moment too. She hasn't barked yet. So you never know. Anything anything <laughs> could happen. He does have a question though. He says, I did have a question for you around ETFs after listening to last week's pod. I wonder if you have any reading material on the pros and cons of investing in Vanguard or similar directly or via the various ETFs they have through Comsec, etc. Is there a difference at all? So this one's one of those situations where Vanguard, I don't know if other fund managers do, I assume they do have the option, you can either send them a cheque uh, and invest in their ETF or their managed funds that way, their index tracking funds that way, or you can jump on Comsec or another broker and buy them through the broker's website
1: and the ASX listed. Ram, um, do you have a quick thought on pros and cons, just quickly? I, I like going through the market just for the liquidity angle. Yeah. In other words, you know, I just open up my app, press a few buttons, and I'm I've done my thing. Um, yep. It's probably – because I haven't done the other way, but I assume that they've probably made it very easy as well, particularly Vanguard, who are very good at that kind of stuff. There's probably just yeah. a direct debit you can set up so it's also pretty good. Um, I don't have – So it's, there's that as well. Th- yeah, that's true. But, I, I, you know, it's it's a good question, Brad. I haven't actually spent much time really thinking about it. What, what do you think? Um, I, I would not have a strong preference either way, uh, like
0: you, because I have shares. Um, I see no point in having to manage another admin process and record keeping mm. and all sort of rubbish. So i honestly I would just and I'd probably be on being lazy, uh, but I would just do it I would just do it directly. Um on, on the on the market. If you hadn't if you didn't have shares at all, then you know how I'm doing it the other way. Um what I do really like about doing it the other way, by the way, mate, is it just it stops the urge to actually do something. You know, mm. if you have to if you have to write your fund manager a call to redeem the units, you're not gonna probably do it when the market crashes. But if the mm. if the comsec screens in front of you and the market's down five percent, you're like oh bugger, I'm just going to sell. Mm. And so kind of the, the, the extra yeah. friction that avoids impulse, that helps with impulse control, I think probably super useful. So um, don't have a strong view either way. For me, I'd rather on the market. If you didn't have shares or you were someone who might be susceptible to impulse selling or, or buying, uh, probably <laughs> do yourself a favour, get in your own way, uh, put those roadblocks on pre commitment devices, as they call them, and one of those might be uh, sending him a check instead or direct debit, as you say. I say send a check, I mean that metaphorically. Um, direct debit just so that it, it just avoids you being tempted to sell. Um like that, that that probably will save a whole lot of people a whole lot of money if they can avoid it. Mm-hmm. Mate, have you been following the A2 milk story? I have. Yeah. We had a question from Colin. He says, "Morning, Scott. Question for the pod. Would love to hear both your and." <laughs> He's actually so. Uh, for those who don't know, I've uh, I call, I've called you. right. question you Ram when you started with the fool, as in Andrew Ram Page. Ram Page. <laughs> anyway, so I, I think I'm funny, mate. It's, it's I use myself, and that's all that matters. Anyway, so Colin actually has a little sheep emoji which I assume is supposed to be a ram so he says, we'd love to hear both your and ram's thoughts on A2 milk. <laughs> Lovely emoji, Colin. I, I'm not an emoji kind of guy but I, I have a lot of respect for them. I've held it for a while but it has steadily fallen by 75% from $20 to 5 since July 2020. I remember you mentioning in a previous episode that COVID had showed issues with the Daigoo trade. Are the current issues temporary or more serious in your opinions? Thanks and full on and that's from Colin. I own A2 Milk for the record, so I'll put that up front and then let you answer and I'll jump in after you. Okay. Um,
1: well, I'm probably not going to be kind. <laughs> Go for it, so, mate. Don't be kind. Um, well, look, I, I, have, I have to say, look, A2 has up until recently been a phenomenal company. And and it's easy to sort of think of them as a milk company. But as mm-hmm. many people have commented before, it's not. It's It's, it's a marketing company. So yeah. it's very capital light. They were sort of strong first mover advantage. I mean, they sell milk for goodness sakes. And, <laughs> and, and and yet and yet they've been able to get such incredible returns on capital for a long mm. time and drive just incredible earnings, profit, sales growth. You know, you choose yep. the metric. They're all super attractive. The thing, there's a couple of things that have just sort of always made me a little bit wary. Um, and this is—I—I I don't think it's controversial, but every time I say it, it tends to be controversial. So, <laughs> I—you <laughs> know what I'm gonna—you know what I'm gonna say, which is like there's, <laughs> there's absolutely no—and this isn't this isn't an opinion; it's just fact. <laughs> there, there's no scientific basis for what they say. I mean, if there was, there wouldn't be. This is the bloke who bought Bitcoin. I just—I'm just—I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to that that pass and
0: let you finish what you're saying.
1: <laughs> Go on. Well well, you know, there's there's a lot of health claims in there that, that have not been proven one way or the other. They might be. Maybe sure, sure. maybe maybe tomorrow some really good evidence comes out and I'll completely change my mind on that. But to date it hasn't. So I think yeah. I think the whole value proposition is spurious. Yeah. It's it's all based yeah. on anecdotal stuff. Now a lot of people and a lot of very smart people would say, Yeah, but who cares? The fact that it's perceived yeah. that way is all that matters and that's that's yeah. there's actually a lot of validity in that. People, yeah. right or wrong, just, just feel as though it's better. But I, I just think as though it's not so. I think I, it's a bit of it's a bit of snake oil, it's like Blackmores, <laughs> but let's not go down that path. Um, it's like the old joke: what do you call alternate, alternate medicine once it's been proven? Well, you call it medicine. Uh, anyway, um, uh, so that, that, there's, there's that's that an example of bias we were talking about earlier, Andrew. But let's yeah, go that, is, that is totally it is it is totally <laughs> biased. But but again, bring me wrong, bring me wrong. Um, yep. uh, <laughs> the the other the other issue with it has been is that, and we touched on this previously, is that the 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 double edged hmm. nature of China. Yeah. So when you get China, right, it is just so it's just such a massive market and there's yeah. so a long way to run. And it's just, you know, the money can just sh- shower from the heavens when it goes right. But, but it's also huge amounts of, of, of sovereign risk over there. And we know mm-hmm. that when things mm-hmm. go bad, things can go really bad. Treasury wine mm-hmm. is a really good example uh, of that as well. Um, As I understand it, and some good stuff on Strawman with some people contributing on this as well, is it just seems as though preferences are changing. A lot of Chinese consumers were driven to Australian brands because of all the trouble they had with domestic product and and a lot of the health issues around that. Mm. I think that those perceptions are changing. And and once that consumer preference does change, uh, and I think it might be, I I I don't know if they can enjoy the same economics that they did. There's also a lot of other competitors that have gone well hang on there's a you know g- g- high high returns on equities like you know um moth to a flame, it just attracts competitors. And now you've got a lot of mm. Nestle and all these others mm. sort of doing the same kind of thing as well. So with more and more products out there, and with, just to quote Bezos again, you know your margin is my opportunity. People thinking, wow, they're selling this milk at this margin. Well, let's do the same thing, but charge a little bit less. And we're also sourced from New Zealand, and we're nice and we're clean and we're green. And it just I do wonder long-term what, where that dynamic goes and, and wonder if that is, is a bit of a, a headwind um, for them as well um the Daigu trade i I think what i've heard the scuttlebutt i've heard is that the the Daigu just aren't finding it as worthwhile anymore so obviously there's there's the COVID impact but even outside of that they're just like the effort of going around to all of these shops buying it up sending it in a suitcase back to back to china just the, the the sheer competitive nature of that has helped made that less and less worthwhile as well so i think I think there's a price at which it makes sense, and I, I suspect this is what your argument is going to be, and I'll, 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 I'll be keen to hear it, is that it, it, a lot of that is probably been factored in and maybe there's an argument for value to be had at this point. But uh, and, and, and on that basis, I, I probably do need to sort of dust things off again and, and, and come back and, and have a look at it. I think a2 Milk will be around for a long time. I'm, I'm sure they'll continue to make money. Um, it's, just, it's just a question of whether i don't think it's sensible to extrapolate the the success they had in the early days too far out into the future i I just think the nature of competitive dynamics will mean that the future is is not as as easy as it was in the past
0: really good summary really great summary i can't argue with any of that mate um so i bought some about eleven dollars i think so i'm down half anyway not not quite as much but but pretty close um certainly feel like it hurts almost as much. Uh, mm-hmm. And the really disappointing thing, I think, what so what's, speaking of Blackmores and A2, actually, mate, those are good examples. They both share the same characteristics, which are, in the past, we've always known about the Daegu trade, but never really been able to put a number on it. We've seen mm-hmm. with both Blackmores and, and A2, their Australian business is falling meaningfully, Australian air quotes, right? Stuff that gets sold away to, to, to retailers in Australia. But it turns out that was actually being bought for, by Daigu Trade and sending it to China, particularly mm. Asia in general, but China in particular. We, there's fewer tourists. There's no international students. There's no tourists. Mm. There are as, probably as many expats living here now, uh, so that's part of it. But those who were more likely to be part of the Daigu Trade simply just left the country or didn't come back. We could not let them. Mm. And so in that circumstance, I'm not at all surprised that uh, we've seen some declines. The question for me is two things. One, as you say, is the current price is already down a long way, which is you know not great but maybe an opportunity hopefully an opportunity so that's one thing second thing is if and when we see I see, I think the trade's going to recover mm. I think I think we're going to see maybe it doesn't even get back to the previous levels but at the current price the question is really about you know what what from here um, you bought it $20 I bought it 11 it doesn't really matter what matters is it's now $5 where does it go from here and if it goes up to yeah. $10 they're both doubling our money if it's not going to go up then sell and buy something else if it's going to double and it's the best idea you've got, then whatever the cost base was doesn't matter. It matters simply what happens from here. And I think for both A2 and Blackmores, what it's worth, you mentioned both, I own both. Um, I expect the China trade resumes at some point and I expect the Daigu trade to item indirectly into China and the Daigou trade resumes at some point. I don't expect that A2 and Blackmores will look back and say, gee, 2020 was the best we ever did in China, either directly or indirectly. And if that's mm. true, if I'm right, that there are better times ahead than currently exist, then that sales growth will look after profit and profit will look after the share price. Now, it could be wrong on either or both. So let me be really, really clear. Uh, but you mentioned the, the massive market, Ram. It's dangerous to sort of say, well, China's so big, if I only get 1% of China, then I could be this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. You can't just do that because you want it, right? It, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's false It's false logic. But these guys have had business there before. Maybe it is less relevant, and less attractive as you say, Ram, but at lower prices, it doesn't have to be as good. I think... If, I think I have a high level of conviction that we'd be better over the longer term just because of the sheer size and scale and growing affluence of the Chinese market. Um, if you simply take what they're currently doing and say more and more Chinese have more money moving into cities, uh, more are traveling, I think Chinese travel to Australia will bounce back and then get back to new records. And so, again, if, same with stu- tourism, with, uh, sorry, with education, with students. Um, if those things are true, it seems very likely to me that beneficiaries include A2 and Blackmoors and others in their category. So, uh, I'm a long term bull, and that's that's why. Does that make Fair sense?
1: Enough. Yep, totally. I mean, that, that's, would you, uh, that's would you the, take exception with any of it? No, no, no. But I think I think, <laughs> I think it's, it's we we say it so often. It's it's about you know, know know what you own and why you own it, and you've just explained perfectly why you've owned it. So you've now got a very good touch point as to see whether that that turns out to be true. And that's that's the question, really, is it? Do you think that this trade will come back even 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 somewhat? And and you're right. If it does, then hundred percent, this is great value. Um, mm-hmm. If it doesn't, it's not, and that's 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 the question. And I, I'm not even saying it definitely won't. It's more just the point of I don't I don't have enough confidence to say it definitely will. So it's it's why I've stayed away. And I say mm-hmm. it all the time: is is it, there's there's nothing wrong with saying I don't know. In fact, I think as yep. as a, as as people we should we should be more comfortable saying that more often we feel as though we have to have a view and a strong view on everything and you don't have to and it's okay not to know and just be honest with yourself and I don't know which is why I'm I'm staying away maybe something will change down the track where someone will present a case or some information I think actually I do think and then then when the facts change or my interpretation of the facts change I'll change my Mm -hmm. mind but at this Mm -hmm. point um, and I haven't really dived dive especially deeply into it. But, but at this yeah, point, right. I, I just don't have the confidence, which is why I'm staying away. Like it. I
0: like it. Mate, that's a lovely place to finish. As always, we didn't get through anywhere near as many questions as I wanted to. I'm going to share one quick comment uh, from Colin who asked that last question, but the comment's worth sharing. It's worth hanging around for. He says, I would like to share this part with my fellow listeners. I would like to share this with my fellow listeners as part of hashtag... Get a better rate. Have you seen that hashtag going on? I've been trying to do Okay, You're doing a great job. Yes, I have. Not great great radio, mate, but Uh, thank you, mate. He (laughs) says, I have just refinanced my mortgage with Adelaide Bendigo Bank. He said, no affiliation, just a happy new customer with their smart fix product. Everyone should have this mortgage product, says Colin. Now, Colin's not a financial advisor. We are, but I'm not going to. (laughs) It's just Colin's view. Everyone should have this mortgage product. He says, why? Fixed interest rate of 2.05% for three years, and he says, 100% 100% offset, $15 a month it costs for that in fees. No catch, he says, other than the fees. It has the best of both worlds with no compromise. I said, nice, thanks, mate. Thanks, sounds mm. awesome. He said, I will be paying 400 less per month for the next three years. I'm stoked. That's Huge. Blame me, mate. Five grand a year in the kick. That's a that's a pretty good gain. So there you go. Uh, Colin's recommendation. I can't tell you what's better or worse than anything else. I haven't looked. around unless you have. Uh, but Colin sharing, Adelaide Bendigo Bank smart fix. Go and have a look. If it's something that might work for you, have a look. See if it's worth for your circumstances, of course. Uh, but another another option to add to the hashtag get a better rate story. So there you go, check nice. that one out. All right, that does us, mate. We've got <laughs> my bag still half full. We'll have to come back and do it next Sunday. What do you reckon? Uh, I'm I'm up for it. Let's do it. Good, good, good. In the meantime, jump on Twitter and follow Andrew at Sage underscore Simeon, Sage underscore Simeon, or Strawman Invest. You can get me on Insta or Twitter using the same hash, same handles, at tmfscottp, or at the Motley Fool AU. If you're on Facebook, go to the Motley Fool Australia or Scott Phillips Money. You can get us all, all of those. If you're on YouTube, look up our YouTube channel. We're starting to post some new videos to that. There'll be more and more coming in the next little while. So go to the Motley Fool Australia. I think it's I said uh, YouTube.com/slash/c/slash/foolau for whatever reason. That's apparently the. <laughs> URL. Uh, or of course, if you want to email us, email us info at fool.com.au. All right, don't forget to like and subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast. Do it through iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app, or the listener app from our friends at Southern Cross Austereo. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a rating, five stars would be wonderful. Tell your friends, write it in your forehead. Don't tattoo it backwards like Andrew suggested, that's a terrible idea. Uh, but you know, <laughs> just do, do, it, do it Do it. in pencil, do it in airbrush, henna. Henna tattoo. there you go. Henna tattoos for everybody. <laughs> we, should, we should sell those on the, on the website, mate. Henna, henna nice. Motley Fool Money Tattoos. All right. <laughs> in the meantime, uh, we'll be back next week on Friday. Actually, we're back on Wednesday with the stock of the week. But Andrew and I will be back on Friday with another dose of Foolish Insight. In the meantime, Fool on. Thanks for listening.
1: The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned general advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.